Welcome. Gathering here, Pablo. Just if I may, just one or two questions before um, I kind of hand over to you. Sure. Kind of. So I mentioned you were Guatemala. What did you do as you were uh, as you sort of started work and as you as you as you grew up? Uh, well, I as a boy, I always wanted to be a lawyer, so I followed my dad's steps uh, and, and became a lawyer. That was uh, before joining IJM. Very good. And before that, you were working for a church. Is that right for a bit? Yeah, I uh, actually served for about four years uh, in youth ministry uh, as a youth pastor and also leading worship. And apparently your, your main pastor, he sacked you. What was that? Your, your main pastor, he sacked you from church. He said, you can't work here anymore. It, yes, well, uh, I started law school um, and got a little disappointed about a, a few things that I saw in the Guatemalan court system, especially corruption and uh, and there was a great need in the church to, to serve as a youth pastor, so I did it for about four years. Uh, but uh, well into the fifth year, my, 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 my Tim <laughs> spoke with me one day, had a cup, cup of coffee, and basically said that he felt strongly from God that I needed to go back and finish what I had started, get my law degree, because he was convinced that God was going to use that for his glory. Difficult news that I quickly processed, and uh, uh, fast forward, I went back to law school, got my law degree, and then I came to IJM, and that was when I realized that, um, yeah, indeed, God wanted to use me and, and those skills. And so he has, because you've been <laughs> working for IJM for 10 years? Almost 10 years, this January. Yeah. And your, what's your job role now? I oversee our, our work in, in Latin America. We have offices in Guatemala, Bolivia, and the Dominican Republic. I'll speak more about that later. Yeah. And across the world, what does, I, just briefly, what, what does IJM look to do? What's his, what's his main goals and aims? Our, our, we exist to protect the poor from, from violence, to rescue, to restore victims, uh, to stop the hand of the oppressor, and ultimately to transform, to reform uh, systems of justice so that they actually work uh, for the poor. That's the reason we exist. Wonderful, wonderful. We're looking forward to, to hearing you. Pablo's mm -hmm. got uh, some images, he's got some uh, tough stories to tell as well, but also great stories of hope. So I'd love, can I pray yes, with please. you for you just thank as you, you speak? Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Pablo, for your call on his life, for the way in which you've um, skilled him and uh, trained him for the experience that he has. And we pray, Lord, that uh, with all that he has to bring us this evening, you'd use him to speak to our hearts and our minds. Lord, on Mission Sunday, we remind ourselves we are a people who are sent. We are a church to be sent to make a difference in the world. Lord, speak to us this evening about how we can make a difference. We can play our part. We can connect with the work of IJM to bring an end to slavery forever. So bless this guy. Speak through him, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Tim. It's been a, a real privilege to be uh, here uh, with you um, beginning early in the morning. Um, I have come to appreciate the value of uh, history, the value of heritage and, and, and liturgy, um, but also the, how refreshing it is to be with uh, you as the, the generation of strength <laughs> and, and vision. So thanks so much for, 
for being here. Um, IJM, as I said before, is a global organization. And our mission is to rescue and protect the poor from violence. And that means rescuing them from actual situations of exploitation, abuse, uh, oppression, and violence. Our, our teams also uh, restore. We work to bring victims back to their original identity, their, their worth and healing. We also refrain uh, the hand of the oppressor. We believe that the hand of the, the, the abuser, the exploiter, needs to be stopped. And ultimately, we want to transform the justice systems of the countries where we work so that they effectively and sustainably uh, protect the poor from, from violence. Our foundation is in the scripture. And I'll just mention a, a couple of verses uh, from, from the Bible. Um, Isaiah 117 reminds us in, in, of the, God's command to learn to do good, to seek justice, to take the cause of the widow, to defend the orphan. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 31st, we learn God's commitment to raise the voice, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for those who need uh, justice. That's IJM's foundation. IJM has presence around the world uh, in several uh, countries and communities. We work in Southeast Asia, uh, Cambodia, Philippines, uh, Thailand. In India, we have uh, five field offices. In, in Africa, we have uh, four uh, field offices. In, in the region under my responsibility, Latin America, we have uh, three field offices and two casework alliance partners. We are supporting a, a local organization in Peru and in Ecuador, but IJM has field offices in my home country, Guatemala, and in Bolivia. In those two countries, we uh, are implementing a program combating child sexual assault. And in our newest office uh, in the Dominican Republic, we are fighting uh, sex trafficking, the commercial sexual exploitation of children. I was there in the Dominican Republic about a couple of months ago uh, to meet with the team, and, uh, and that is the office that, that, that you support. Let me show you a photo of the, of the team there. Uh, all around the world, uh, the majority of our staff in the field are nationals of the countries where we work, and that is certainly the case in the Dominican Republic. In this photo, you uh, can see uh, our staff, our investigators, uh, social workers, uh, our legal team, our support team, um, this is more of an intimate uh, photo. Um, we're missing a few staff. Two of our investigators were out that day, but we actually have two investigators in that photo. Um, so that's the team. That's the people that you are supporting and that you're partnering with who every day uh, wake up and go to work inspired with the mission of rescuing children and girls out of the sex industry in the Dominican Republic who are partnering with other organizations in Santo Domingo and in other cities and towns in the DR to care uh, for uh, the victims and bring them to restoration, who are partnering with police, uh, prosecutors, uh, advocating 
um, before uh, the uh, courts to make sure that perpetrators and traffickers and abusers are held accountable under the rule of law. And ultimately, our vision is to increase, to strengthen the capacity of the Dominican public justice system so that they protect the poor from violence. It's a relatively new office. Effectively, we've been doing our work for about 26 months, uh, taking out the, the administrative uh, phase uh, of establishing the office. So far, since its opening, this team that you support has rescued 76 victims of sex trafficking. They are now free. They're no longer under oppression and exploitation. Many of them, most of them actually, are still uh, under care, and we're hoping that they will be fully restored. In about a decade prior to our work, the Dominican government had only achieved, either, I think, five or six convictions against uh, traffickers and exploiters. Over the past uh, two years and a half, because of IJM's work and because of your support, the office has achieved the arrest of 25 suspects. 11 of them have been convicted in the past um, two years and a half. And 26 traffickers and exploiters are awaiting trial. And they will be held accountable. The day that the perpetrators of slavery and violence realize that there's a big chance of getting in trouble, this type of abuse will, will stop. We have trained more than 300 government officials on best practices. We have worked with them, developing protocols on how to do their work. There is so much work to do, to be clear. But we, we have started the work to set the foundation so that one day the Dominican Republic is a country free from sexual exploitation of children. We are seeing a generation of, of churches and, and, and civil-based organizations that are um, growing in interest to care and reach out to this vulnerable population who are realizing that those lives are, are, are worthy and are valuable. In fact, we have more than 26 justice groups within those churches who have offered their expertise their service and who are already committed that whenever we rescue a girl and that girl belongs to their community they have committed to reach out to that girl and her family to come alongside them and support them and walk with them the long road for restoration that is the work that you are making possible because of your generosity because of your prayer and your enthusiasm and I would like to tell you um, the story of one of those girls. Her story is quite different than the average stories of the girls that we have rescued. Uh, it's a, a complicated story. There are pieces of her life story that we still need to understand. But her journey really exemplifies the need for this work how messy it is, but how much 
our, our, our commitment and our determination to end slavery and trafficking in the Dominican Republic uh, just cannot, cannot, cannot wait. I will refer to her by the pseudonym of Liana. Liana and her little brother uh, grew up, spent their childhood with their paternal grandparents. When they were really young, Liana's father, realizing that uh, his, his wife, Liana's mother, was living a very irresponsible lifestyle, had fallen into drug addiction and had become actually violent against the children and even against him, decided to, to leave her. He took Liana and her little brother and went back to live with his parents, Liana's grandparents. What Liana remembers uh, about those uh, short years is, is, is quite happy, playing in, in the porch of the house and having a relatively happy childhood, uh, going to school and enjoying playing with her uh, little brother and, and really enjoying the company of uh, her loving grandparents. One day, her, her father went out on his motorcycle to do an errand and never came back. He died in a car accident in the road. It was a tragic day for, for Liana, but she still had her grandparents. And from that day on, she decided to call, her, call them um, daddy and, and mommy. A couple of years passed by, and Liana's grandparents received a phone call from her grandfather from her mother's side. And this grandfather said, I would like to spend summer with, with Liana. He said, okay, if you send her here. Her grandfather um, reluctantly agreed. He had some doubts and he was perhaps concerned that that could be taken advantage of by Liana's mother, Teresa, to reconnect with her, something that he did not want to happen. But ultimately, he thought it was good and agreed. So Liana moved uh, for a few weeks to live with uh, her maternal grandparents. And while she was there, her mother Teresa started to visit her there and reconnect with Liana. She was friendly to Liana and started to rebuild the relationship that they, they, they never had. And the for, for the first time, Liana thought that finally she was going to have the the relationship with her mother that she always hoped for, but that she never had. She was happy. Teresa, Liana's mother, then talked to her and, and, and said, Liana, moms and daughters should be together, should live together. Why don't you just come with me? Liana accepted. So she went to live with um, Teresa. She was then enrolled in middle school, and she was able to go to school for only three days. On that third day, Teresa woke up uh, Liana and with a threatening voice basically said, today you will begin doing exactly what I tell you to do. If not, I will kill you. And she, she said it over and over again, and of course Liana believed her. 
Teresa then took Liana by force and drove her to a place commonly known as Cabañas in the Dominican Republic. These Cabañas are motel-like establishments, kind of drive-in um, hotels paid by the hour where very inconspicuous and dirty things happen, are basically establishments that thrive on the over-sexualization and objectification of women and girls. Teresa took Liana to one of those rooms, and in that room, there was a man awaiting for them. He paid some money to Teresa and then raped Liana. All of it in the presence of her own mother, who watched all the time. This scene, this abuse, this exploitation happened over and over again. Over many days, and then weeks, and then months. One day, uh, Teresa left home and she had other, other boyfriends in the community. And she left behind Liana with her boyfriend, Sergio, who dutifully continued the sex family business by continuing taking Liana to those cabañas. But then one day, brazenly, Sergio basically sold Liana to his boss, a man named Tito. And in a very odd circumstance and, and, and even difficult to understand, Tito somehow developed a, a strange affection for young Liana. And even though he was married, he told Liana that he actually cared for her. He then took Liana to his mother and said, Mom, I need to leave Liana here with you. Tito's mother realizing that her son had brought this young lady, which didn't make much sense knowing that he was married, asked her, hey, what's, what's the deal? What, what, I, 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 this is not just like that. Tell me. They started a conversation which ultimately led to Liana opening her heart to Tito and her mother about her situation and all the horrible abuse and exploitation that she has suffered under her mother and her boyfriend, Sergio. It's a complicated story. Are you still with me? Hmm. This woman, Tito's mother, shocked by what she just learned, told her son, Tito, you are going to take this girl back to her grandparents and you will say the truth and you will tell them and encourage Liana to tell her grandparents everything that she has endured. You're not going to be part of this. You don't want to be a part of this. So he did. He took Liana back to her grandparents and once there he encouraged Liana to open her heart to her grandparents, and Liana told them pretty much everything that had happened. In the book of Nehemiah, 
we learn of this story of Jerusalem, who was conquered first by the Babylon Empire and then by Persia. Nehemiah was a Jew, an Israelite, living in the city of Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. He was one of the few that had escaped the oppression and the exile and actually had thrived and, and become successful in the Persian society, so much that he had become the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. This guy, Nehemiah, had everything that anyone would have wanted. He was influential. He was powerful. He was a man that actually had the ear for King Artaxerxes. And it would be normal for someone like that to try to avoid knowing the, the, the tragedy of, of what he left behind or the tragedy of his people. But one day he received some visitors, including from one family member called Hanani. And he just couldn't help it and asked them, hey, how is Jerusalem? Tell me what's going on. And the news they had for them were difficult news. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah knew exactly what this meant. This meant disgrace, trouble, vulnerability. This meant danger, real danger for his people. So he felt really sad. He wept. He cried. And that's when he prayed to the God of heaven, his father. And he prayed that prayer that, that, that Tim uh, led for us and that we, that we read a few minutes ago. A prayer in which he worshiped God and acknowledged God's sovereignty and his power over, over all the earth. He also confessed his own sins and he made the failures and the state and the fate of the Israelites his own fate. He kindly re reminded God of his promises. And then he made a commitment to do something about his people. I really believe, guys, that all of us are somehow like Nehemiah. Even we are already in a place of influence, of power, or we will be. And just the fact that we live where we live makes us more powerful, makes us safer, more influential than many people around the world. And I am not saying that to make you feel bad, okay? I am not saying these things so that you feel guilty about your life. We are blessed. And yes, we have struggles. We have challenges. I'm sure if I would uh, share my story with you or hear your own story, all of, all of you have gone through difficult problems or perhaps are going through in the midst of the trial right now. But somehow we are safer in a better place than many around the world. We are like Nehemiah or will soon be like Nehemiah. And we feel, we feel the sense of, of safety. But we were not created to feel safe. 
I know it's, it's difficult to understand. We need safety, but we're not created to that in the sense that we are called by God to leave our places of comfort, to go out there and protect those who need protection, to serve those who are in need. And Nehemiah understood this and believed it and was courageous and made himself available to God. And we know the rest of the story. He prayed, he took courage, interceded before the king, got the resources he needed, and then traveled and was used by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and repair the gates of the city. In many places around the world, and that is true in the Dominican Republic, the walls of the city have been broken down. And in many instances, those walls have not been even been built. The gates of the city have been burned with fire. Children, women suffer from sexual violence and exploitation. And it has been happening with impunity. But that doesn't have to be the case. And you and our team in the Dominican Republic are actually doing something to repair the walls and repair the gates. Let me tell you what happened with Liana. Her grandfather once heard what had been happening to her, immediately went to the police and encouraged Liana to share her story and her testimony to the police station. They immediately called the anti-trafficking unit, this specialized group in the Dominican Republic that we have been partnering with. They also called us to assist in the case. Our legal team, our investigators started to collect evidence, worked with Liana to prepare her to give her testimony with a prosecutor and a judge. We gathered additional evidence, other testimonies, and everything matched. Her story was credible. A prosecutor moved on and with our assistance located and then apprehended Teresa and her boyfriend Sergio. Earlier this year, after a long, long battle that lasted almost two years, Teresa was brought to trial and was convicted for the crime of sexual exploitation and trafficking. And Sergio will be tried soon, possibly later this year or between February and March in 2017. Liana did not have to take the stand because she had already testified before the judge, but her grandfather did and did it bravely. Meanwhile, Liana has started a long road for recovery. She has started to understand that her identity is not in being an object, is not in being a commodity. She has started to understand that she has value, that she is worthy, that she is beautiful. She started to receive therapy with our team and, and, and a community came around her to support her and support her grandparents. She is now living back with her grandparents and living the life that she has always wanted. It is still difficult for her to understand why her mother did what she did. But she understands that she did the right thing by testifying and telling the truth. 
our team is still working to identify other um, abusers in her case. Liana has taken advantage of every single opportunity that has been presented before her. She has learned secretary skills. She knows how to make pastry. She knows how to uh, read well and write a paper. She's learning English. She is thriving in school. She wants to become a doctor. And more specifically, she wants to become a pediatrician. Just about two weeks ago, I uh, received notice from our team that we have officially um, finalized our care program for her. She's now ready to be on her, uh, by herself, on her own, and continue with her uh, recovery with her family. We pray that she will be made anew, be made whole again. That is where we work. It is for lives like Liana that we work for. She now, she's still with her grandparents, and she helps with the errands of the house and cleaning the house. Uh, her life is not easy, but she's now safe. She's now safe from exploitation. She's now safe from oppression. She is now free. Our vision for the Dominican Republic is that we reduce and ultimately eliminate the prevalence of sexual exploitation of children. Before we started doing our work, we conducted a study, qualitative study and quantitative study, to measure how prevalent the problem is, and the findings were quite eye-opening. We're working hard, and we're trusting God with your support that perhaps in a couple of years we will do another study and see a reduction in this problem. We believe that we can eliminate slavery and sex trafficking in the Dominican Republic. You might think that uh, our teams in the field, that our team in the Dominican Republic, that they are the ones doing the work. And truly, they are the ones in the front lines but they could, knew, they could not do this work if it wasn't for your support, if it wasn't for your prayer, for your enthusiasm, and for your commitment. Please know that our team there understands that they, are, that they can do this work because of you and because of God's mercy and, and sovereignty and power operating through you. I am really, really humbled by, by being here uh, with you uh, tonight. I am really thankful. And every time I go back to the teams, I have the privilege of telling them about the number of people that pray for them and, and support them. The walls of the cities are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. But we have Nehemiahs like you, like our teams, who are rebuilding those walls and repairing those, those gates. Thank you.